You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're in a series called A Newborn King, and we're really focusing in on God become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, that he came with a purpose, he came with a reason, that he is the one who we love and we adore at this time of year. And, and right now we get pulled all sorts of directions at this time of year, don't we? Like, like you're seeking a lot of different things. You're seeking gifts. How many of you are still seeking like the right gift idea for somebody you love? Yeah, still looking, still seeking. How many of you are seeking deals? Come on, be honest. Yeah, right there, right, right. How many of you are seeking and reminding yourself that you're buying gifts for other people, not yourself? Right, Mo, right, yeah, lots of us, right? How many of you in this room, how many of you have a December birthday? Be honest. All of, how about early January? Any early January? Yes. We, my heart goes out to you people because the extended people in your life, they have to work extra hard to make sure that that day is special for you because, you know, it gets packed right up there against Christmas and, and believe me, I'm one of those people that in our family, our middle son, Matthew, was born on January 3rd. Now, believe me, I was trying to get that kid born before my insurance, you know, the year, previous year, <laughs> driving Heather over railroad tracks, you know, whatever, like, get that baby out. But the Lord said no. He said, he said it'll be a new fiscal year. You'll pay that deductible all over again. And, uh, and so we were so delighted when on January 3rd, Matthew showed up, and uh, it was literally in Colorado, it was 20 below zero during that week. My mom flew in during this cold snap. She was like, what just happened? Because she's from Southern California, where I grew up, but we were living in Colorado at the time. And, and so just, but what a special gift that young man has been. And so we work extra hard to be like, how do we let Matthew know that he is so special, that his birthday is special, just like we would celebrate the birth of Christ. And so we're really intentional about seeking ways to do that. And this year, I want you to know that you and I need to seek ways to really make sure that the arrival of Christ, the incarnation of Almighty God, God becomes flesh, is very special to your heart and to the hearts of those around you, and to the heart of Christ himself. Here's why you need this message. You have the opportunity to lead yourself into celebrating Christmas this year. You and I get led. We get led into all sorts of things, but you really have choice. You have a choice to say, I'm going to lead myself into celebrating uh, Christmas this year. You and I, we have been conditioned. We've been advertised to. We've been pressured But you and I have the opportunity to make a conscious decision. I will lead myself into experiencing Christmas anew this year. What if I were to bring Christ a gift this year? Think about that for a moment. What would it look like for you to bring Christ a gift this Christmas? What if you were to open up your heart to encounter him in a new way? What if you actually led your family in remembering Christ? Like on Christmas morning, actually reading through the account in scripture, whether you have believing family members or not, but just saying, hey, this is something we remember every year. What would it look like? If you do, I think during this time, if you make a conscious decision, how do I intentionally remember Christ at this time of year? How do I open up my heart to encounter Christ this Christmas? You will, in fact, encounter God. I think you're going to grow in community with other people, and you're going to live your calling because you decided, I'm going to lead myself to seek Jesus this Christmas. We want you to be a seeker. In fact, there were other seekers at the time of Christ. If you have your Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 2. 
in Matthew chapter 2, you've got these uh, wise men from the east who have seen a star in the sky, and they are going to begin seeking out what is the meaning of that star, what is the origin of that star, and, and they have begun to follow it. And so if you have Matthew chapter 2 open, beginning with verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So again, they're from the perspective in the east. They, they are seeing the star the rise with the stars. Like they all rise in the east and they settle you know, in the west. They just follow like the track like the sun does as our earth rotates, right? They've seen it and they've come to worship him. Now they've come to a Jewish king. So here's the Jewish king, King Herod, right? King Herod heard this. He was disturbed in all Jerusalem with them. Why? Let me just time out there real quick for a moment. You need to understand, these are Arabs who've come to worship a newborn Jewish king. There was tension already in those relationships back then, not just today. But here come these Persians who've come to worship a newborn Jewish king, and Herod's going, what are you talking about? I'm right here. I'm the king. I'm the king of the Jews, but he's disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And it says this, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Now skip with me to verse six, then Herod, or verse seven, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshiped who? Him. Take note, they didn't bow down and worship her. That's important, a distinction to make. They bowed down and worshiped him. They showed honor to her, respect to her, love, but they worshiped him. He goes on and says this, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now these guys show up, but they show up at the time when Jesus is a child, in the languages originally, there's different words for child and baby. When the shepherds go, they find a baby who is lying in a manger. It's a very specific word. The, the word for baby is really the word brephos that we see in Luke chapter 2. This, in Matthew chapter 2, is the Greek word paidon. And paidon means child. It doesn't mean infant any longer. It now means child. So Mary and Joseph have come to, uh, down to Bethlehem. They've stayed there. The baby was born. They've stayed some time. So you're my nativity when we show up and you got like the shepherds and the sheep and you got like the wise men there all at the same time, probably not biblically accurate, but it's pretty art, <laughs> right? But so what happens is they show up sometimes later and it's interesting because Herod gets alarmed. Herod is a brutal, bloodthirsty, vicious, domineering ruler of the Jewish people, and then over him, the Romans have conquered the land. So the Romans have, you know, infiltrated the land. They rule everything, but they allow this Jewish king to handle local affairs, and that's the condition in which Jesus was born. And, and what I want you to understand 
is they come, these wise men, they come from the east. They've seen those stars rise. They come. And these are Arabs who have come to worship a Jewish king, Jesus. It says from the rising. That would be in the east. And they brought gold. Now, gold is often mined in Arabia. And people have wondered, well, did the Magi, did they come from like Persia? Did they come from like Africa? Where did they come from? But as we look at the scripture, it really tells us that they came uh, they saw the star rise in the east, they followed it, and they came west to the land of Israel. We also find that frankincense and myrrh are harvested from the trees that only grow in southern Arabia. So these are Arab, Gentile, non-Jewish people like many of us in this room, unless you're a Jewish person, right? It's Gentiles like us. In that day and age, though, even more particularly, these are Arabs. And I want you to understand just the context of what's going on there. Picture if that were modern day. You have Jerusalem. You've got, you've got Bethlehem right nearby. And could you imagine Palestinians or other Arabs coming from certain lands? And they would come and they would worship at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to let you know that that happens every day. That there are Persian believers around the world who love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, and they worship a Jewish newborn king. But we can learn some things from these wise guys who came from the east and come to worship Jesus. If you're taking notes today in your outline, I want you to understand this principle. Wise people still bring gifts. Wise people still bring gifts. One of the greatest ways for you and I to show respect or honor to other people is to bring a gift. In fact, isn't it amazing how often a, just even a little gift, a little thoughtfulness opens the door for relationship in new ways? Have you ever noticed that? That you just, you just bring something and someone's like, that was so kind. It wasn't expected. It wasn't necessary. I mean, at Christmas, you better bring gifts. But let's say it's another time. Let's say it's a work meeting. Let's say it's other times. Wise people we learn still bring gifts. About a week and a half ago, I had the privilege of having coffee with Pastor Phil Oswald. Some of you might know who that is. Other people don't. And Phil Oswald is the founding pastor of Sun Grove Church. He was here 17 years. So we met downtown. He's up in North Sacramento. We met in downtown in, uh, at a little coffee shop, and we sat down. And just hearing what God's put on his heart is he's working with some people kind of in their 50s who are really reengaging how to have intentional conversations with lost people about the good news of Jesus. And what he's doing like during the week, that they're kind of having some people circle up during the week and then they're reaching out to non-Christian people with the faith conversations that could lead them to faith in Christ. And then those people are back at their churches because they come from a variety of churches all during the week and on the weekend. And so just so honest, but when we went to have coffee with him, we put together a little gift package. Uh, Phil's an avid reader, so I got him a couple books because I know, like me, he's going to love reading some books. And so I gave him a couple books. We gave a t-shirt for his wife, Leanne, that was from the women's uh, retreat that said joy on it. And we gave a little joy is the key, a little key on a, on a, a necklace and, and just some things, uh, you know, some grow pen, whatever else, right? But we put together a gift package. Was it, did I need to? No. It's just that principle that wise people still bring gifts, that it is right to show honor. It is right to elevate someone else, to think of someone more than yourself. I want you just to think, what could you do in your life? What could you have around that when the opportunity time comes, that you're like, I'm able to grab that. I'm able to pave the way with a gift. Wise people still bring gifts. These wise men didn't just show up to see what the fanfare was about. They brought gifts. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 10 says this, and find out what pleases the Lord. See, here's a picture. Last week we talked about God's favor is on you, that it's already on you. You've already earned God's approval, that he loves you. 
all the favor you could have from God. As the angel showed up and told these shepherds that the favor of God rests on people, that God's favor is on you. So you're not trying to earn it. But what now, because God's favor is on us, we want to say, how do we respond? How could we give, find out what pleases the Lord, right? When you have a little baby and you look at that little baby, if you're a guy at, at least, that little baby comes out and everything is all about mom. Like mom, you know, if it's, at, it's all about mom. And, and you are like, I remember waiting like when we first had our first child and I didn't know how everything worked. And I just would wait. I'd be like, one of these days that baby's going to actually like smile. It's going to look up and smile and be delighted, right? Because everything was like toward mom. And then as the baby grows and as it develops, all of a sudden you, recognition happens, right? And it sees that it's daddy. And then all of a sudden that smile happens. And see, all my favor is already toward that kid. I just love that little baby. But it's so awesome when that baby begins to respond back, right, to the favor that's already extended to it. And in the same way, God's favor is on you and it's on me. But we, what do we do? We're not trying to do good things to earn God's favor because God's favor is already on us. We're finding out what pleases the Lord, what is beautiful to him. It's interesting. You don't have to go to a holy site to worship Jesus. Lots of religions, lots of other things have these places where people have to go. They have to go to a, a Mecca or they have to go to a holy site and they're going to look and see what happened there and they're going to get some sort of blessing when they do. Well, Heather and I are going to Israel in the new year and we're going to go to these places, but here's what happened. We're going to go to a lot of places and in ancient times, particularly during the Crusades, when they identified a spot that this is where some great event happened, like a miracle of Christ or this is where they think he got crucified, or this is where they think he got born, they build a church on it. How do you mark where big events happen in, in ancient times? You just built a building on it. They built a church on that site. And we're going to go into all these places, and we're going to look, and people are going to speculate, this is what happened right here, and guess who's not going to be there? Jesus. He won't be there. There'll be all these sites, this beautiful architecture, this nice church, but guess who's not going to be there? Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is accessible to you and to me anywhere we're at. We don't have to go on pilgrimage. We don't have to do anything but to be people who seek him. He's available to you right now that you can speak to God. You don't have to go through another person. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go. You have direct access to talk to God, and you have direct access to Jesus right now. And we want to find out, God, what pleases you? He's accessible to you here and now. So let me give you some suggestions here today about some things, not of my own making up, but that the scripture tells us please the Lord. Because we can speculate, right? We can think, oh, I'll do something like this and that'll please God. And truth is, it's probably us trying to earn God's favor. So instead of being human performers, let's be human beings, not human doings, but human beings. Let's find out, what does the scripture say? What does God's holy word say pleases him? How can we respond to the Christ of Christmas. Number two in your outline, give Jesus your burdens. Give him your burdens. What does he want? He wants your burdens. Parents, have you ever seen like your child and they're walking around and you can just tell for a couple days they are just, they're out of sorts, they're silent, they're closed into themselves. They just got burdens going on and you're like, it, it just, you know, it's still just stuck in there and you don't know what it is, but maybe then they open up to you and you're like, Oh, I'm so relieved you opened up, and maybe you can have a conversation. It just feels freeing when you do that. But one of the things you and I can give Jesus is to give him your burdens. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter, who had walked with Christ, who had denied Christ, who had come back to realize that God was not done with him 
or his ministry yet after he denied Christ, said this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All your anxiety because he cares for you. Some of you are frustrated right now because you're walking into what should be the most joyful season, but it's not joyful for you. You're walking into a season where you're just realizing, I'm just taking my burdens with me into this season, and they're heavy, and they're a weight, and, and these are burdens in my life, and you're not happy about it. You don't like what's going on in your life or in your circumstances, and God is saying, cast your burdens on him. God understands. You know why? Because Jesus is contrasted in this story with the troubling hard times of Moses in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had Moses, and the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt. They had come into Egypt under the blessing of a previous pharaoh, and over 400 years, they had multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And then what had happened is, there were so many of them, they said, hey, this is slave labor. And so they crushed the people, they put them in slavery, and now the Hebrew people are crying out to God for freedom from their slavery. And a little Hebrew boy named Moses is born. But Pharaoh had seen too many. He had seen that population absolutely explode. He said, there's too many. They could overthrow us. So he put out an edict that all the baby boys should be killed. They were brutal times, burdensome times. Well, Moses' mother hid him away for a while, but she couldn't keep him quiet. So she took him down to the river, put him in a basket, had her daughter launch him down the river and keep an eye on it. Pharaoh's daughter found Moses raised him as her own in these brutal circumstances, horrible circumstances, not peaceful times, times of conflict. God rescued Moses. Well, Moses then grows up to lead the people of the Hebrew people out from the slavery of Egypt. That's the story of Moses. In the New Testament, it's the reality of Jesus, that Jesus is born to free the people who are under the burden and the slavery of sin. That's you and me. But he wasn't born into peaceful circumstances. He was born into a time where, where Herod, when the Magi came, would get suddenly threatened that Arabs would come to worship a future Jewish king when he's at conflict with them. There's a, there's a baby out there that, that has an in with the Arabs, and I don't. And so he commands, this brutal dictator commands that children two and under be killed, and so the babies are slaughtered in the area around Bethlehem. It is not comfortable time. It is a brutal time. But before they come to search for Jesus, Joseph is warned in a dream. And he gets Mary up in the middle of the night and they take Jesus and they escape away to Egypt, back to the place of Moses, right? They escape there and they wait till Herod dies before they come back to the Holy Land. These are not comfortable times. These are times of burdens. And Jesus is not born into a time of ultimate peace and it's just beautiful. He's really born into a time of conflict like you and I would be born into a time of conflict. We still live in a day and age where life is threatened. We still live in a day and age where life is not valued. We still live in a day and age where people are born into conflict and need the freedom from sin, our own sin. We were the slaves. But Jesus, the newborn king, has come to bring God's favor to you that there would be a way of salvation for you and for your heart. Number three, bring Jesus your worry and receive his peace. 
Philippians 4, 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So you say, well, wait a minute, this is, this is an interesting thought. I mean, so far it sounds like I'm just giving Jesus coal, right? I'm giving him my burdens. Now I'm going to give him my anxiousness, my worry. But God's saying, would you give me that stuff? I can handle it. In fact, I've paid for it. Will you get, you're carrying it. And the worst kind of worry is silent worry, isn't it? You know, like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're all anxious and you're worried and you're trying to figure it out in this, you know, half awakeness of your mind and it seems to make sense, but then you wake up and you realize that that was just ridiculous, but you wasted hours worrying. It's silent. It's on the inside. God knows you're carrying anxiety. He knows you're carrying stuff. And he's saying, listen, the freedom is when you actually speak it out. The worst kind of worry is silent, but the best path to peace is through spoken appeals and requests and thanksgiving to God. That's what he says. Listen again. He says, listen, by prayer and petition. What's petition? Putting your requests out there, asking God. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Isn't it, word that, isn't it interesting that the word present is the same word as present? What are you going to give to God? Why don't you give him the present of petitions and requests with thanksgiving. Cast your cares on him. Give him your burdens. Bring him your worry. And pick up peace. That's what he wants. You say, it seems like bad gifts, but God's saying, he's saying, this is what pleases me. Literally, he's saying, this is what pleases me. If you hold on to it on the inside, it doesn't please you. It's like a parent who sees that child in conflict. But once the child opens up and begins to share what's going on, it makes sense to the parents, and then they're able to come along and encourage, right? But as long as you and I hold it in, as long as we keep it silent, we're going to stay in the trap of worry. You and I need to speak out our request to Jesus. He is accessible to you. You can talk to him anywhere you're at. And let me tell you, these are troubling times. These are difficult times. These are disconnected times. And let me tell you, marriages need help. Marriage is hard in and of itself. It just is. Commitment is hard in and of itself. And marriage is hard. And we want to be the kind of church that comes alongside and says, we want to help. We, want, we don't want to assume that everybody has it all together. Nobody does. Heather and I just went to a marriage conference. Why? Because we need help. We need work. We need effort in our marriage as we continue to walk in, in, under our vows. And we understand that marriages are troubled. And in this next year, every quarter of the year, we're going to do something that really helps marriages in our church. In the first quarter of the year, we're starting a class called marriages, Marriage on Mission. And it's this idea of, of not just, hey, here's some better communication tips. It's not that. It's saying, how do you come together? How do you come around a common cause? How do you together stop fighting and being, you know, just carried on by life? And how do you come together to get on mission for God? How do you do that? That class will start on January 8th. It'll run for six weeks. And then second quarter, we'll do something else. But we just want to come alongside because sometimes we need to speak out what's going on on the inside. We need help. We need to connect with other people. Number four, bring Jesus your bitterness and receive his freedom. Your bitterness and receive his freedom. Some of you are walking around, you got a lot of bitterness in your heart. In fact, you have a little bit of holiday dread because you got to get together with people that you feel bitter about. You've not addressed that bitterness, so when you get together with them, you're gonna, you've got this dread about it. 
and you're stuck. You're stopped up. You're not working like you're supposed to. You know, the worst thing about hosting for the holidays is if the toilet backs up. It's the worst, right? It backs up. You got to like go for a plunger. You're like, you know, it's just absolutely the worst. You know, you got your holiday. If it clogs up and it's worse if you're the one who did it, right? Because you come out and you're like, somebody, somebody clogged it before me, someone else. The toilet was clogged when I got there, even though you flush it three times and it's filling up, right? It's backed up. It's not working. And you know, you're, if you've ever gone in there to fix it at your house, you're plunging, that thing finally releases. You're like, yes, right? It's a celebration. It's working like it's supposed to. Listen, unclog the toilet. Some of you are backed up. That'll tweet. Some of us are carrying around our bitterness, and you know what? It stinks. And it leaks out all over everybody else. And we think we can contain it and hide it. Like, no, no one understands that, that my stuff is gross. That this bitterness inside of me leads to rage and brawling and slandering and malice. You don't realize that this bitterness leaks out of your mouth. All everybody, everybody else, you're backed up. Jesus is saying, come to me. Unclog. Get rid of your bitterness and receive my freedom to work like you're supposed to. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4.31. He said, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. See, all those other things that he talks about there are the result of bitterness, right? Bitterness leads to rage. Bitterness leads to anger. It leads to brawling and slander and, and all this malice, right? So you get together with people and you start talking about someone you're bitter against and, and all that other stuff starts to leak out, doesn't it? You're backed up. You're not working like you're supposed to. And Jesus is saying this Christmas, what if, what if you brought to me your bitterness? What if you chose some forgiveness, which doesn't get them off the hook. They're still on God's hook. But it gets you working like you're supposed to. What if you did that? Unclog your heart. Unclog it. Number five, bring Jesus your regrets and receive his healing. Paul in Philippians said this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, it says, I haven't arrived yet. You're going, this Paul the apostle. He's going, I still don't think I've arrived, all right? He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul is saying, listen, I am fully aware of my past. Paul murdered Christians. He was an evil man. He threw them in prison. He was a blasphemer, if you will. And then, and all the things, I'm aware of my past. And I'm aware of my present sins, Paul would say. But I no longer let my past or my present sins define my identity. I forget that. And I press forward. In the same way, he's saying all my good stuff, I don't let that puff me up, right? I don't let that puff me up. I have like this big head, and I'm like, I got it all together, and, I, and you're fake. And when you're all puffed up, then you're easily deflated because your ego is so big that it popped like a balloon. Right? And some of you, you're letting your past or your present sins beat you up. 
you're letting them define you. And so what happens? You walk around deflated. Kind of walk around like this. Just no good. I'll never amount to anything. I can't believe God doesn't like me. His favor can't be toward me. And you begin to project. And Paul is saying, listen, the secret to contentment is forgetting yourself. Listen to the fact of what the word of God says. His favor is toward you. And you look ahead. Bring Jesus your regrets. Let him crucify those on the cross and receive his healing. Receive it. Own it. You present him with your regrets and you receive the present of healing and forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross. What happens then? Well, then we give Jesus our heart. See, some of you have given Jesus your head. And truth be told, you're a Christian on Sunday. But during the rest of the week, probably not so much. But you're like, hey, on Sunday I am, and I've given Jesus my head, but you've not let Jesus penetrate to your heart, and you're standing there a little bit, some of you at times, you're standing there like this. All right, Jesus, come here. But not too close, Jesus, but come here. And sometimes you go, come here and go away, and you do a little bit of this, right? So you're saying, come here, Jesus, but I don't want to get you too close to my heart, too close to my emotions. I want to keep steady and think like I have it all in control, and I don't want things to get emotional. I want to be more cognitive about religion. It's not just a matter of temperament. It's a matter of the condition of your heart. God doesn't look on the outside. That's what you and I project to everybody else. Try to look like we have it right, like we never sin, like we have things together. No, that God's like, kick out that pedestal. I'm looking at your heart. That's what he does. And you got a guy like David, King David. He wasn't always a king. He used to be a shepherd boy. But God anointed him as king. God says this to Samuel, the prophet who would anoint David, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. What does that mean? He was height challenged. <laughs> right? Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Actually, he's looking at, he's, he's speaking of Saul at this point. And Saul was a head taller than everybody else. So he's saying, do not consider Paul, Saul's appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. With Saul, he looked to everybody like what a king should look like. You ever done that? You think, what should a leader look like? And you look on the outside, and you're like, this person looks like they should be the next upcoming business leader, or this person looks like they should be the leader of the soccer team, or this person looks like they should be, and, and, and we look on the outside, guess what God does? So I look at the heart. And he looked at a little shepherd boy named David, who was not the oldest brother, he was the youngest of a whole bunch of brothers. And God said, I have selected him because he looks at the heart. And here's what I want to let you know. David wasn't a perfect guy. As king, David committed adultery. As king, David committed murder. But the difference in scripture, the reason that scripture keeps saying, this guy, David, is a man after God's own heart, is that when he had sinned, when he had done wrong, he kept bringing his heart back to God. Some of you are letting your sin keep you from God. So you're like, God, this is my sin, so you can't get to my heart because I'm keeping my sin in front of you. It's in between us. And the truth is you need to take the cross of Christ and squash that sin with it and say the cross is between me and that sin. So when I look at that sin right in front of it, in my view, is the cross because I'm forgiven by God. I keep bringing my heart back to him. 
when I failed. I keep bringing my heart back to him when I've grown bitter. I keep bringing my heart back to him when I'm burdened. I keep bringing my heart back to him when I'm weary and worrying and anxious. God says, I look at the heart. I'm looking for people who keep bringing their heart back. And maybe this year at Christmas, you bring your heart to him. Some of you, you know it's been a lot of Christmases. Maybe this year, you man up and you bring your heart. God, I'm going to bring you my heart this Christmas. I'm going to bring the real me before the real God who looks at the inside but is taking care of so much that's on the outside of me. Bring him your heart. I want to ask you some questions. These questions help you determine... Do you have a real living relationship with Jesus? Because some of you are like, again, like on Sunday, hey, I'm good, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but then during the week, maybe not so much. You might not actually, you might have a head knowledge of God, but you might not actually be saved. You might not actually know Jesus personally. So let me ask you some questions like this. Are you having any particular seasons of sweet delight in God? Do you sense God's presence in your life? Like, do you sense it? Do you really sense him giving you his love? See, if we do this, we're not letting us receive his love. We're saying, come to me, but I'm going to restrain you, God. But do you sense God giving you his love? Do you sense him saying, I know everything you've done, and if it took this, I would die for you all over again? That's how much I love you. It doesn't take that. He's taking care of it. He paid for it on the cross. He doesn't have to do that, but he would because his favor is on you. Let me ask you this. Are you finding Bible promises encouraging and precious to you? Are you finding his grace more and more glorious to you? Literally, like the closer we get to God, then we come back and we say, God, the reality is the closer I get to you, the more and more I'm aware of my need for your grace, and I'm just so thankful that I'm saved. It's a mystery to me that you would save me. You don't get puffed up and arrogant and be like, look at me and how great I am. No, you begin to just say, God, the closer I get to you, I realize my need for you more and more and more. Maybe this year you give him your heart. Number seven, give Jesus your worship. Matthew chapter two, again, looking at the wise men on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's interesting because we truly believe that God funded their refugee flight out of Israel. And if any of you in this room have been a refugee before, if any of you in this room have been an immigrant before, you know what that feels like and what that's like, Jesus understands. His family understands. They understand the costs. They understand the dangers. But God funded it in many ways with these gifts. Worship is demonstrated by generosity. I want you to understand something, that before they gave gifts, they worshiped. Right? Before they, they gave him and opened their treasuries and said, here's what we brought, what they did first is they, 
they worship, they bow down and worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They said, this is the newborn King, not a newborn King. This is the newborn King. This is God become flesh. This is unlike any birth ever before. In fact, we saw in the heavens that God was doing something and we wanted to find out what it was. And so we followed him and they worshiped him. You and I worship when we open our mouths, when we sing praise to God. You and I worship. One of the acts of worship that we see that shows the heart of worship is generosity. I will give God my voice when we sing. I will, do, I will obey God. I will do so many things. I will honor those who are uh, uh, you know, beyond me. I will do so much. Not because I'm earning God's favor, because his favor is already on me. But I'm finding out what pleases the Lord. And what pleased the Lord was that he would make wise men curious about what was happening in the heavens and he would draw them to understand that there is a newborn king that everyone should worship. His name's Jesus. And so they show generosity. They say, God, I'm going to honor you with the first. God, I'm going to give to you what it is. And they show a generosity. That's one of the markers of being a Christian is just a heart for generosity. The second thing is this, that worship is most active through obedience. We're not obeying so that we get God's favor. We already have God's favor. We are obeying because we're finding out what pleases him. Having received God's favor, I now want to say, God, what can I do that would please your heart? And he's going to say this. He's going to come along. He's going to say, listen, you want to please my heart? Give me your burdens. Give me your anxiety and your worry and pick up peace. That pleases me. Bring your bitterness and receive my freedom. That pleases me. You bring me your regrets and receive the healing that I, caught, I paid with my life for. Give me your heart. That pleases me. And so we obey. So what happens is this. We gather here on the weekend. And we sing together. And we worship together. We give him worship. We listen from God's word. And we learn from God's word. And God uses the preaching as one of the mediums to speak to our heart. And then what we do is we take it out there as a walking worship service. So when you are more in love with your sin than you are with your Savior, and you're out there, you're going to say, you know, I'm going to say no to that sin. And when I do, I worship the Lord. Obedience is an act of worship. You say, how do I worship? Is, is it just singing songs? No. Worship is I lay down my way and I pick up your way. As an act of worship, I say no. As an act of worship, I say I'll do what's right. As an act of worship, I say what is the wise thing to do and I do that. So worship is demonstrated in obedience. You and I are walking worship services as we go out. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 23. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Why did Jesus turn plural all of a sudden? Because he's God. He's saying, Trinity, if you obey my teaching, my Father will love them, and we will come to them, and then we will make our home in them. How does Jesus do that? By giving us his Holy Spirit. So there's a, an alignment that just says, find out what pleases the Lord when you and I give an act of worship and our act of worship is obedience, that pleases God. 
and you can give him that gift at Christmas. Listen, there is a newborn king. For years, you have been carried along, and for years, you've brought yourself to Christmas. You've brought yourself to winter. You've brought yourself to Santa. You've brought yourself to fable. You've brought yourself to friends and to parties and to work gatherings and to sales and to shopping. You've brought yourself to holiday drinks and to decorations. But have you followed the light to the newborn king? Maybe this year you just say, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to lead myself to give Christ a gift at Christmas. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, that starts by giving him your life. It starts by just saying, God, I'm going to receive the forgiveness of my sins. And some of you in this room, that's a hard concept for you because you don't think someone else should ever have to pay for your sin. But that's pride. And pride is what keeps us away from the Lord. And, and maybe right now you just need to come before him and just say, God, I'm going to give you me as I am. I'm not going to puff myself up. I'm not going to deflate myself. But God, I'm just going to give you me. I'm going to believe that what you did on the cross was done to wipe away my sin. And you want to receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, receive the gift of eternal life, receive the gift of your sins being washed away. If that's you right now, then you pray a prayer like this after me. Just right where you're seated, even in your heart, God, here's your heart. You pray this, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. I ask you to make me a new creation. I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried that you rose to new life and conquered death because you're God. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. Some of you right now, God, is, his Holy Spirit has told you during this service something that pleases him. And would you just maybe lay it down? Maybe for you it's your regrets or your, you're giving him your heart or it's your bitterness. You're just going to be honest. God, I'm, I'm really bitter at that person. I'm really bitter in this way. Maybe it's your worry. Maybe it's your burdens. And today God is saying, would you give me a gift right now? If you wait for your heart to feel like giving it, you'll never give it. But would you give me your gift right now? And believers around the room, take this moment and give God the gift. Lay down your stuff, unclog, and pick up his freedom. Jesus, all around the room, your bride the body of Christ is giving you gifts. And we have to get past our pride to do it, God. But today we just give you what we think is our coal and you give us such a blessing and that's the beautiful exchange of knowing you. So Jesus, would you take these gifts? Would you respond as a perfect father does? A good, good daddy. And would you just meet us where we're at, God? Receive our heart, receive all these things and Instead, God, redeem, buy back, make the outcome of Christmas different than if we never gave you those things in the first place. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.